Hello and welcome to Train of Thought. My name is Rob Tobias. My guest today is David Barsamyan. Hope I pronounced that okay. Barsamyan. Barsamyan. It's an honor to have you here in the studio. Uh, David is a investigative journalist, has done a uh, radio program called Alternative Radio that is heard all over the world now, I, I assume, uh, and written a book with Noam Chomsky, among many other things, and is here in Eugene to support our local, new local, low-powered radio, KEPW. Um, thanks for all you do and for being here. It's my pleasure, and I'm a huge fan of KEPW. You know, I want it to uh, grow and expand, and people should support it in any way they can. Let's talk about that. What, why are our stations like KEPW so important now in, in this media environment we live in? Because stations, community radio stations, provide a counter-narrative to the propaganda onslaught uh, that is so prevalent on, in much of the uh, radio and TV and print media in the country today. And so it, ch it challenges the hegemonic thinking. It challenges the embedded assumptions about uh, U.S. intentions uh, in the world, about uh, the uniqueness of uh, the United States and uh, the role that it plays uh, around the world. Uh, lots of interventions, wars, occupations, uh, more and more militarism. While here at home, you know, we're strapped for monies, for health care, for education, for protecting the environment. There seems to be very little or no money available. Uh, meanwhile, the Pentagon budget uh, in total is approaching a trillion dollars. And, um, you know, the U.S. has 800 to 900 military bases around the world. It's, uh, you know, it's a very, it's a world out of balance. There was a, a, a documentary made in the 1980s, early 1990s, called Koyaanisqatsi. I remember it, with, with all the time lapse. With this fabulous Philip Glass soundtrack. Oh, yes. Yeah? Yeah. And uh, there it was, you know, that we are destroying the planet. You know, we are creating a kind of um, ecocide, uh, and it's having very deleterious effects. I mean, it will have a huge impact, particularly on coming generations, because when we talk about, you know, climate change and the danger it poses to the planet, uh, there's very little urgency right now, at least at the very highest levels of the current regime in Washington, to they're not even addressing the problem, they're denying that it exists. So programs like mine uh, have to take that on and engage it and provide concrete information for people uh, to be able to resist the propaganda that, you know, there's nothing to worry about. Sure, there's, you know, occasional storms, but there's always been storms, there's always been uh, forest fires. Yes, that's true, but not with the intensity and frequency that we're seeing now in the last couple of years. I mean, just look at what happened uh, in Texas, Florida, and Puerto Rico. Back to back to back, major hurricanes with words like unprecedented and record-breaking being used now so promiscuously that they've lost their meaning. It seems like every storm is unprecedented or every rainfall is unprecedented. Every heat wave is record-breaking. So we had Harvey and then Irma and then Maria and, you know, Puerto Rico, which is a U.S., in fact, 
territory, uh, still many people do not have power. They don't have access to fresh water. Yeah, it's creeping in the mentions of that that the mentioning that this is part of the the climate change um, um, problem. But you're right; it's not focused on. It's not an emergency like a, not treated like an emergency uh, in our government and 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 by our news organizations. Well, look at like the amount of te- attention our great leader, you know who I mean, mm-hmm. our exalted one, yeah. uh, gave to NFL football players. You know, is that a major societal issue that, you know, the president has to focus on uh, whether these people are being patriotic or disrespectful compared to the future of the planet, to saving the earth? I mean, look at the, you know, lopsided proportionality here. It's it's nutty. Speaking of proportionality and the uh, landscape, you you remember something called the Fairness Doctrine. And uh, I know Reagan did away with that. And it seemed to me that that really altered that that gave the birth to the possibility of something this extreme right as as Fox News. Uh, I know there's, you know, this you could put all the new it's all propaganda in a way because they're not focusing on, like we say, the issues that they need to. And yet there seems to be there is a spectrum somewhat. Uh, and yet, um, I don't know, just talk about how the landscape and how you've seen it change this uh, level of propaganda over over years. Well, that's why I got into doing community radio and starting my own program, because I was very frustrated with corporate control media. Now, there was a, a wonderful journalist, he happened to be Armenian-American, by the way, Ben Bagdikian. Uh, he wrote a book called The Media Monopoly around 1980. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading it at the time. And he described what he thought was, uh, you know, becoming a real problem in this country, that the more and more corporations were controlling more and more media. And there was this concentration, media monopolies right. uh, going on. And he thought, you know, this isn't good for a democratic society. The communication needs of a democratic society should provide perspectives and points of view from A to Z. I'm not saying everyone should listen to me, but you have a broad range to pick from. Now it's more like A to B, and maybe that's overstating it. It's more like A to A squared. Uh, You have, when Bagdikin originally wrote that book, there were 50 corporations that controlled uh, the media. That number today is down to five or six. And when you have that concentration of power that is, you know, which is dedicated to making more and more money and generating profits, you know, and, and not necessarily providing news and information that people uh, really need. And I'm not talking about the latest Kim Kardashian, uh, you know, whatever, liposuction or divorce or scandal, but real news. Um, that's why I started Alternative Radio, to provide uh, listeners with uh, news and information that the corporate control media simply either ignore or distort. The thing is also since 1980 is that things have disseminated so that there's not just a few stations. You know, the television, the whole landscape, and now you throw in the internet and millions of podcasts. And uh, so the sources of information are, are many-fold. And so, yes, corporate control, but as long as there is an internet, which I know is threatened sometimes... Um, Particularly now with net neutrality under attack. Yeah, was, that, that would be, that's a key thing because uh, I believe that the democracy is helped greatly by the many voices that you, you hear over the web. Now, of course, 
disinformation and propaganda is also uh, big, which we saw in the in the election that people can be manipulated even through all these Facebook and Twitter and all all that. But but the landscape is so big now compared to what it was 30 years ago. Uh, in, indeed it is. And, you know, again, the Internet uh, has to be, I think, used very carefully because you can get lost in it mm-hmm. and it can just pull you in like quicksand. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of fantasies that are being promoted in there. For example, that uh, the Democratic candidate for president was running a pedophile ring underneath a pizza parlor in Washington, D.C. I mean, if you just say that, I mean, you just burst out laughing. How preposterous is this? Someone in North Carolina reads this on the Internet, gets a gun, which is very easy to do in this country, and goes to Washington. You know, to take action, to, you know, to punish the evildoers, yeah. uh, as it were. So uh, the Internet, you know, I think is in one way a great boon for democracy. But if it is uh, used promiscuously, uh, then it can be very hurtful and damaging. Um, well, let's talk about the action you've taken by starting Alternative Radio. How do, how do people find it, uh, listen to it, and... And how do topics come to you? How do you, how do you choose um, what you feature on your show? Well, let's start with the last part of that. Uh, a lot of it is serendipity. Uh, I have people all over the country and in Canada as well who say, hey, this great ha- talk just happened. Here's the audio. Um, would you consider broadcasting it? So lots of, t- on many occasions, people come to me with audio and say, We'd like to get this on the air. On other occasions, I go out and like a hunter and gatherer and find, find the audio and put it on the air. People can find out about Alternative Radio through our website, alternativeradio.org. It's alternativeradio.org. Uh, we have hundreds and hundreds of programs on a variety of issues, history, politics, uh, environmental issues. I've been really focusing a lot on the eco-crisis uh, corruption, uh, corporate capitalism, particularly the current manifestation of corporate capitalism, which is um, involves a lot of cronyism, cronyism and insider trading and uh, tax avoidance and offshore stashing of trillions of dollars that, you know, you and I, we have to pay our taxes. But when you're the big boys, uh, you, have fi- you find ways through your lawyers, through, you know, manipulating the tax code. The paradise papers. Yeah, to them. avoid yeah. paying taxes. I mean, here we have the quintessential U.S. corporation that is branded around the world, world is Apple. Right. And they have stashed hundreds of millions of dollars in offshore accounts to avoid paying taxes. I was very disappointed. I mean, I use Apple products, so uh, yeah, um, it's not something you like to hear. Yeah. And, uh, but then, you know, we also have to look at how we spend our tax money, you know, on all the militarism. And and now they're trying to chip away at at the good things we do with our tax money. It it is a sad situation. you said, I'm just going back to something you said about going out and getting audio, because you do interviews, but is it a combination? Do you do, you do audio out in the field, but then also interviews in the studio or a combination? A combination of both. Um, the majority of programs uh, consist of lectures, 
Occasionally I do interviews. I just did one with uh, Trita Parsi on Iran. Uh, I did another one with uh, Laura Sikur also on Iran because both of them came to Denver, which is just a half hour from where I live in Boulder or 40 minutes. So I went there and did the interviews. But I'm also looking for lectures. Sometimes in terms of format, it's a one-hour program. Sometimes it's a complete lecture. Sometimes it's a partly a lecture and then I fill it out with an interview. But it's pre-produced and it's carried on about 260 stations across the U.S., Canada, and, and around the world. And some of this journalism ends up and books. A lot of it does. I've done books with Arundhati Roy of India, Tariq Ali of uh, Pakistan, the, the late Edward Said, and uh, the wonderful radical historian Howard Zinn. But probably I'm best known for my work with the radical uh, intellectual activist Noam Chomsky, the mm -hmm. legendary linguistics professor at MIT. Now he's at the University of Arizona in Tucson. We've done 11 books together and Sometimes I quip that, you know, if the Guinness Book of Records had a category for most interviews with Noam Chomsky, I might be the uh, <laughs> winner of that particular honor. And so these books, are they basically the interviews transcribed or do you, do you sometimes add, do you put another voice in there? No, we don't add another voice, but we definitely clean up the interviews and we provide uh, more context and examples because when you know, you're having a casual conversation, uh, it's not as rigorous, let's say, as a prepared speech or a written essay. And so we try and keep the conversational style uh, because we want people to invite people in. But um, it's very important that um, important issues become uh, clarified and examples are given. Okay, we're going to take a break and come back and talk a little bit more about the new book with Noam Chomsky and, oh, I don't know, The Survival of the Planet? Sure. <laughs> You're listening to Train of Thought. My name's Rob Tobias. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Train of Thought. My name is Rob Tobias. My guest is David Barsamyan. Not bad. Uh, he's an investigative journalist with a radio program, Alternative Radio, out of Boulder. And has uh, just released a book with Noam Chomsky, right? Based on, on interviews you did. Um, what was... What was some Global of the Discontents is uh -huh. the title of the book, uh -huh. and it's the 11th book I've done with Chomsky over a period of now 25 or 30 years. Uh, first of all, let me say it's good to be on the train. Uh, yeah. I, I love train travel, yes. and so I'm counting on you as the engineer there to take us to the final destination. Now, the book consists of uh, interviews that we've done over the last two or three years on current topics, dealing with the eco-crisis, uh, dealing with the rise of uh, Donald Trump and his election, uh, neoliberalism, the growth of the surveillance state. Uh, there's more and more, in fact, one chapter is called State Spying. Uh, there's more and more of that going on. So dealing with the issues at hand and then, you know, thinking about what kind of society do we want can we imagine what what are, what are we going to look like in 10 or 15 or 20 years as as a society because um there seems to be a foot now an almost infatuation with what i call social darwinism which is 
uh, survival of the fittest, where uh, compassion and caring about our neighbors and the less fortunate seem to be, you know, discarded, and the wealthy and the powerful are given much emphasis and are heralded as the models that we are all supposed to emulate. We've become uh, a society of the haves and the have-nots. And FDR appointed a Supreme Court Justice, uh, Louis Brandeis, who once said, I think very presciently, that you can have great concentrations of wealth or you can have democracy, but you can't have both. Mm. And right now, what we're witnessing is an evisceration of democracy, a diminishing, diminishment of democracy as power is concentrated in the hands of a few. And people with money will use their money to generate political outcomes that they want. So, for example, the Koch brothers are very uh, much enamored with fossil fuels and maximizing uh, profits from their huge uh, coal and fracking industries and uh, oil and natural gas industries. Uh, Sheldon Adelson, uh, Rebecca and Robert Mercer, they have a huge hedge fund in New York. The Blackstone Hedge Fund Group led by Stephen Schwartzman. All of these gazillionaires are polluting our political system with cash. And, and it's an unlevel playing field. You know how they keep talking about, oh, it's a level playing field. Sure, you, Rob, you can run for president. I can run for president, this person. No, you can't, unless you have tons of money. And where's that money going to come from? From people who want and expect certain outcomes once you're elected. Right. They use that in the healthcare debate. No, everyone should have access to great health care. We have the best health care in the world. Access, yeah, if you got the money, you know, you can buy it. But We don't have the best health care in the world. No, we By don't. By any objective standards, if you look at the indices, you'll find uh, Canada, Finland, Sweden, Norway, France. Those countries have uh, better life expectancy, less infant mortality, lower infant mortality rates. I mean, uh, the U.S. I'm has a shockingly high infant mortality rate. It exceeds Slovenia's. Yeah, Actually. no, it's very sad. I was just I was mimicking what the. the <laughs> I certainly wasn't saying that. Right. I think we're well down the list, and uh, um, so you know, it's if you've got the money, you can get yes. the quality care. If you don't, you're out. You know, you're out of luck. So one of the subtitles on your book is um, "Threats to Democracy." Uh, do we even have a democracy? Still, is the is one of the questions. Well, I think we confuse elections with democracy, mm. that the fact that we have elections means we have a, dem a democratic system. Uh, I don't think we do because of the influence of private money in public elections, you know, until and unless we have public funding of elections where it will d then indeed be a level playing field, you'll have these kinds of uh, distortions. And so uh, democracy is under attack, voting rights which we thought was, you know, set and done, you know, Selma and all of the great legislation that was passed in 1964 and 1965. In state after state, uh, new and more restrictive uh, voting ID laws are being uh, introduced with the clear intention of intimidating people to not go to the polls. So what we again have to refight those battles of the 1960s today. Uh, I had a government teacher 
back at uh, Ohio University said, you can't sweet talk people out of power. Um, what about the resistance? What, what can people do, people who feel, who feel powerless? I mean, um, what's your vision of how, how change is going to come? Uh, it's going to come from below. It's not going to come from the great leader in the White House waking up one morning and, say, and saying, you know, we should provide our university and college education. That should be free of charge to everyone. We should have universal health care. We should be protecting the environment. None of those things are going to come from Washington, from, from on high. It's going to come from below when there's grassroots movement that demands change. That's how social change has always happened in this country and in other countries as well. And so this is a time for engagement. It's a time for resistance. It's not a time for, you know, fence sitting and straddling and saying, well, I may get involved. I mean, it may not get involved. We don't want to be good Germans. Right. We don't want to look away and say, gee, I didn't know that was going on. You know, my Jewish neighbors, they disappeared, and I thought they just went traveling away on vacation, uh, you know, claiming that they knew nothing. We know what's going on. And there's this famous uh, saying from a, a German, actually, Nazi, anti-Nazi resistor, Martin Niemuller, who said, you know, first they came for the communists and I didn't say anything. Uh, then they came for the socialists, I didn't say anything. Then they came for the Jews, I didn't say anything. And then when they came for me, there was no one left to speak out. This is a time for engagement. This is a time for citizens to step forward and say, yes, this is our country, not it doesn't belong to the Forbes uh, 400 or the Fortune 500, the handful of mega millionaires and billionaires. It belongs to the people of this country. Yeah, and, you, and it, there's a sense now where a, a majority do not identify with the political parties. And so what does that say? You know, like that, the biggest party is the independent or the non-affiliated. Uh, and that's where really change has to come, but even though they're not, it's not happening within the party. Well, the Democratic Party abandoned its uh, FDR New Deal roots. Mm -hmm. It embraced neoliberalism under Clinton, particularly continued uh, under Obama. Uh, this has seen the greatest transfer of wealth uh, in the history of this country. It has brought upon us a new gilded age, which makes the previous one, when there were Rockefellers and Vanderbilts and uh, the Carnegies, they, they look like paupers mm -hmm. compared to Warren Buffett and Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos. Incidentally, those three men alone command more wealth and money than 50% of the population of this country. Yeah, I, I mean, a shocking development. So the Democratic Party has turned a blind eye to its history of identifying and supporting working people identifying with the social safety net and providing uh, legislation and programs to protect people that are left less fortunate than uh, other parts of the population. So I think, you know, they've brought a good deal of this wreckage upon themselves. And, I mean, everybody has a sense of if there was fairness in our elections, uh, Bernie would be the, the president because he, he, there was a, a lot of groundswell for him, and yet the political process wouldn't allow it. Uh, indeed. In, in fact, with all the obstacles that Bernie Sanders faced, uh, particularly the sabotaging from the Democratic National Committee, the way the uh, elections were scheduled, uh, the voting times, and all of these things. Super delegates. He yeah. still won 22 primaries and 22 caucuses, 
with very little money. The average uh, campaign contribution to Bernie was around $27, whereas, you know, the Clinton campaign was flush with millions and millions of dollars from, you know, money coming in from high rollers, you know, who wanted her to be uh, president at the expense of a candidate who would have wiped the floor with Trump had he been the had he been the democratic candidate right, that's true. everyone says that even the republicans say <laughs> that sanders would have won because he's simply so much stronger on the issues of wage and wealth inequality uh, and you know the economic issues the bread and butter issues the old new deal issues yeah so there's a lot of issues facing us uh, for our survival you know all this the climate of course nuclear weapons of course um, and still, somehow we have to stay positive in the face of it and, and, and have our voices heard. I, I like the, I guess you said Howard Zinn was quoting someone else, but the sense that, that we need to rise like lions and that we are many and they are few. Indeed, uh, that's from Shelley, a wonderful radical poet writing in the 19th century after a massacre of people in England who were protesting inequality and feudal-like pr practices. So Zinn concludes his People's History of the United States with that very inspiring uh, quote. Yes, we are many. Uh, this isn't a time for uh, any kind of despair or disillusionment or, or depression. It's a time for engagement. I like to quote the great Uruguayan uh, novelist and historian and journalist Eduardo Galeano, who, when he was asked about this, you know, don't you ever get uh, depressed or upset, you know, you're following the news? And he said, hey, when we start winning, I'll allow myself that indulgence. But right now, it's totally inappropriate to, you know, succumb to feeling uh, depressed or upset. We need action. We need engagement. We need citizens to rise up and take back the country from the oligarchs that are now ruling it. And... One of the steps we're taking here in Eugene is KEPW. You know, it's a huge intervention. I can't speak more, you know, highly enough for the need for independent community radio, where you can get news and information you know, outside the box of uh, you know, official thought. And you were able to reach out. You said you're on 260 stations. Uh, were you not met with a little resistance? In, in, I mean, or do, who, who do, how, how, when you approach people with alternative radio... Do they have to be the right people, or how do you get it across? Well, there are two types of um, stations in the country. One is the NPR affiliates, which have moved more and more to the right over many, many decades. For example, here in Oregon, my program in the 1990s was on KOPB, the whole statewide network. I used to get a fantastic response. It used to be on in Eugene at KLCC until it was removed. This reflects this whole move, movement of national public radio following the political elites uh, to the right, to less and less diversity and more and more concentration of opinion and of thought. Meanwhile, you have this counter movement of community-based radio stations like KEPW, like WMNF in Tampa, KGNU, my home station in Boulder, uh, WRT in Madison. There's a whole range of community radio stations around the world, where you, around the U.S., where you can get news and information outside the official lines uh, that are being generated from uh, the, you know, very, uh, I think now, quite conservative national public radio news, news programs. Well, thank you for your passion. Thanks for showing up. 
uh, here in Eugene and on Train of Thought. I, I really appreciate it, and yours is an important voice, and I'd like to um, help get it out there as best as we can. So. Well, thanks for inviting me on the train. It's been a pleasure. Woo-woo! Yes, David Barsamyan, yeah. and his book is called Global Discontents. I'm sure it can be got anywhere, but... Uh, Thanks again. You've been listening to Train of Thought. My name's Rob Tobias. Until next time, we'll see you. This is David Barsamian of Alternative Radio. Thanks for listening to Train of Thought. KEPW is listener-powered community radio. Please support it. Thank you.